or we could just hum. You know. Dominic, Dominic is having errors. Oh no. Scuttle Buddies, and welcome to an audio version of our chat with our friend Dominic Pace. Since our very first breakout episode with Dominic, he's been very kind in supporting us and so many other pods. Alex, Brad, and I are grateful for his friendship and his everlasting enthusiasm whenever he's on. May the force be with you, Dominic. Here we go, Scuttle Buddies. Get your sunscreen and your blasters out, because it's always sunny on Scarif. Mandalorian season one I uh you know going uh going back in time right before the release of the first episode I uh I was very excited I didn't know what to expect uh years in the making Star Wars on the small screen uh it was just it's a very interesting it was a very interesting time um I think we got Dominic here excellent but uh great yeah so that's you know that's one of the things that uh that uh, is very exciting for me. Um, but uh, folks, guys in the chat, we are about to start. We have our guest of honor, Mr. Dominic Pace, waiting in the backstage. And uh, we are very excited. Good evening, Scuttle Buddies. Good evening, Alex, and all the ships at sea, or in this case, all the ships that answered the call of the Republic and Rise of Skywalker. Welcome to tonight's live stream where we'll be examining the downfall of the taxation of trade routes throughout the galactic inner rim and how that political policy pushed the banking clan to ally itself with a Sith Lord. Oops. And the rest is history, right? <laughs> but all kidding aside, guys, yeah, that's the saga. Thanks for joining us and giving us your undying attention. Alex, wake up. How are things over there? Uh, things are good over here. Uh, I'm super stoked to be talking about The Mandalorian again with Dominic Pace. Before, we were kind of handcuffed, not having to be able to talk about spoilers. But now that the season's done, uh, I want some deep dives. I want to talk about behind the scenes. I want to talk about that amazing scene that he got to be a part of yeah. uh, with the Mandalorian army coming in and saving Mando and, and Baby Yoda. I think him being on set for that, like we, we were in awe watching it on the screen. But being there live on set must have yeah, just been well, another We'll ask him. We'll ask him what that was all about. You know, it's we're in a very strange phase right now. Mandalorian concluded its stellar season one. The journey towards Rise of Skywalker is complete, and the sequel trilogy is over. Uh, what looms for the future of Star Wars? We're not sure. Uh, interesting times indeed. And speaking of Mandalorian, uh, like I said, we we've got uh, we've got our friend Dominic Pace. Let's bring him in, and p- folks in the chat. Uh, this man needs no introduction. Uh, he is, uh, actor and friend of the podcast. Let's bring him in. Mr. Dominic Pace. Dominic, how's it going? I'm doing great. Hello to all your listeners. Thank you for having me. And, uh, just a thank you to all the fans. Uh, the last two months have been, uh, an absolute dream come true for a Star Wars fan and actor. Uh, so, uh, thank you to all of them and thank you to you guys uh, for all the support. That's great. Dominic, thank you so much for making yourself available. 
basically, you know, whenever we've asked, uh, I've obviously we've uh, seen and heard you all over the place and uh, very gracious with your time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I feel like there was sort of the Star Wars gods that said uh, this character would be nothing without the fans. So one hand washes the other. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for the entire community. So let's get down to the nitty gritty, as you can see. Uh, what? Well, first of all, what did you think of season one of, of, of the show? Absolutely amazing. I mean, Filoni and Favreau, they're one of us. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, my God, this wasn't that hard. This is amazing. I mean, they're one of us. Uh, I think it just had a perfect balance. I think there was something for everyone. You know, it goes back to the old school style of 80s where you had a little bit of comedy. You had a little bit of drama. Uh, you had tremendous performances. You had interesting characters. I mean, it was everything you could possibly want. It's just obviously we wanted more. Um, but that's, that really <laughs> it out to, for a lot of excitement there, of course, for season two. And, of course, the Kenobi series, which is on its uh, heels there as well with, uh, um, with uh, Deborah Chow taking the helm. So a great time to be a Star Wars fan. It definitely is. It definitely is. Alex, you were talking about uh, how exciting it wa would have been to be on that set. Well, Dominic was on that set. You want to ask him something? I do. Oh, Dominic, I got some questions for you now, man. The, the gates are open. There's no more spoiler talk anymore. Um, I think I, I think it's safe to say that the episode that you were involved in the most, uh, episode three, um, is probably one of the favorite episodes of most people who have watched this show. Everybody says Deborah Chow's uh, debut episode, episode three, was amazing. The action was on point, and then the, the big finale with the – the, all the bounty hunters are coming after Mando. You're one of them. We get a close-up look at you. You're standing next to Carl Weathers there in the uh, in the little arena, or not arena, but the like the lobby area of the town, of the town square, and uh, we we get that that showdown between Mando and all the bounty hunters, and uh, and then we get that big scene finale where all the Mandalorians come in on jetpacks. Like as a fan watching that, like you said, like John Favreau and and Dave Filoni writing this scene for us is just like. This is what we would do. You know, fans would make this show and be like, okay, we have to have the Mandalorians come in on their jetpacks and just wipe out this town. Like, it's going to be fantastic. I can't even begin to imagine how exciting it must have been to be on set and be able to watch that unfold as Deborah Chow was directing everybody. So what was your experience that day? Uh, were you apprehensive? Were you, were you worried about anything? Or were you just in complete awe watching it all go off? I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I think every Star Wars fan would understand that there was a tremendous amount of excitement to start off with. Of course, you know, I think it's well documented. I talked about day one where George Lucas was there and I got to pick my own blaster, which was a dream come true. But then all of a sudden the hype goes away and then it's the excitement of wanting to be immortalized within the, the Star Wars community. Uh, I, I've said in the past, I can't tell you how grateful I am for Deborah Chow. After the cantina in, uh, in episode one, which was run by Filoni, they had to do a cut. And if it wasn't for Deborah Chow, uh, I would not have been there and I would not have been flanking Carl Weathers. Uh, with that being said, there was a surreal moment, just like in the cantina where my back was to the camera. And I wish I could have taken every set of Star Wars souls and eyes and placed them within me to where it was beyond a ride. And I was locking into the Mandalorian, but what really was tripping me out is one of my favorite childhood figures was Boba Fett. And I'm sitting there with this gun pointed and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm staying in the zone and staying very focused. They didn't tell us. But I'll tell you about the baby as well. Um, the child. Um, they didn't tell us anything other than obviously we, this is what we need to get. and This is what we want to apprehend. Um, but for a moment, I mean, it was tough to stay focused because for a second, 
all the cameras go away. It's very much like the Matrix uh, for you as an actor. A lot of times, even on regular modern day crime drama sets, all of a sudden the cameras leave and you step into that real world. Um, so there were some really magical moments for me to be able to sort of leave the real world behind and step into my favorite universe there. Um, just to jump ahead there just a little bit, the child we were not told about. And I can't say enough about John Favreau and Filoni uh, for, for how great that was for them to keep that secret, especially with wow. the heat with Solo and Episode Eight. I think that would have gotten a lot of negative press if you heard about the child before this amazing series that aired. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Star Wars fans with all the drama going on probably would have jumped the gun and said, oh, this is, you know, they're going to cater to children just like Ewoks or whatever. And they did an amazing <laughs> job keeping that secret. What was going on in my mind was I thought this was a backstory to either Finn, Poe, or Ray. So I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be kind of cool to bleed into the, the sequel trilogy. Uh, but boy, was I surprised after episode one, because that's when all of a sudden the lights started coming on. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what I was holding a gut to, this adorable little thing. You know? So... Uh, it was really so, a special treat, even for an actor that was a part of it, uh, just because uh, they kept everything secret, uh, unless it, you know you were part of the main main cast there, of course. So you guys were only told that it was a child, but now no specifics regarding who, who that child was or, or what he looked like. That's 100% correct. And again, I mean, I think Lucas did a lot of that with Empire Strikes Back. I think even David Prowse was kind of not uh, privy to a lot of things, or I, I don't know if it was maybe Mark Hamill. I forget the story. But uh, I think that's great. I think, you know, the whole thing, even when I went on and I was so proud, obviously, and so excited to go on the podcast, uh, the greatest thing for viewers is to watch it in the theater, you know, no spoilers, um, to watch it on, on TV, watch it on Disney+. Plus. So I think that was great because there was about a set and crew of about 200 people. One way or another, I'm sure that would have leaked and that would have been really uh, bad publicity, even though I know they talked about jumping the toy line and such. Uh, I think Favreau and, and Filoni are just genius in terms of keeping that all secret. Yeah, yeah, it would make. Really... It, it, I'm sorry, it, it, real fast. It would it would make sense that would they they would not release the toys because then people would know before the episode would would come out. So right. uh, I know a lot of fans were kind of upset at that and and trying to scratch their heads, but it makes sense from a business uh, standpoint. Alex. Yeah, let's. I mean, I mean, let's, let's just. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, there was a lot of drama with Solo, a lot of drama with uh, you know from the fan base with Episode Eight. So I think it would have been a negative thing, and I'm I'm glad they did what they did. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, now that you mention it, like the the child, Baby Yoda, he's like the key. You know, like uh, George Lucas famously said about Jar Jar Binks, he's like he's the key to all of this. And it really is. If if Baby Yoda didn't work, or if there was some kind of a a weird backlash about it, um, you know, it, it definitely would have affected the show before it had even aired. And I'm super thankful, not only to John Favreau, but for Lucasfilm for allowing them to postpone like toy production and stuff which they normally don't do and uh that was a big um because i know when the christmas season came around they were scrambling to get baby yoda merchandise out there so i'm sure that somebody was like oh this is all because of john favreau <laughs> like we don't have our stuff ready but uh i am definitely thankful and, and that's a great point that you brought up about that absolutely yeah it's kind of funny because some some uh you know side little companies custom made try to do it justice, but it looked more like the baby Grinch than, than the way that he <laughs> with baby Yoda on, on the Mandalorian. I mean, it's a really fine line between creepy and adorable, you know? That's funny. Yeah, and and sure. we'll, we'll get into all that, uh, the, the customized toys, because you've got a lot of uh, folks that are creating some really great, not only art, but uh, some really customized figures of your, uh, of your character. Uh, how does it feel to, to be able to see all that stuff come through, uh, t come across your table there? 
Uh, it's been amazing. This is kind of phase two for, you know, us side characters, us side actors. Obviously, the dream, I think, not only uh, for every Star Wars fan would be to be in the franchise, but also now to get your own customized figure. I can't tell you how amazing these fans are. What I would normally pay a publicist two to $4,000 a month for, people are coming out of the woodwork saying, Dom, how can I help? What can I do? I just got one of these uh, down in Dallas. Oh, where nice. made a, uh, a card back of my character. Oh, nice. And it's kind of a throwback, uh, you know, vintage uh, uh, character, uh, you know, for a 3.75. It's just been absolutely amazing. I had a contact over at Disney where, you know, again, I mean, the reality is reality. And he said, Dom, he said, please forward the email and I'll, I'll send it over to Lucasfilm. Uh, obviously, it'd be a dream come true for anything from a Funko Pop. Uh, you know, the great thing about this franchise is side characters is what makes it. Uh, they're mysterious. They're interesting, especially a bounty hunter from the guild. Um, I, I think I would like to believe that I think it would be a pretty popular in terms of uh, uh, the sale uh, to the fan base. But uh, you just never know. You know, I, I think, again, with now kids going all the technology, whereas, you know, it would just be a given back in the day where kids had play sets all the time. Uh, I still would like to believe there's a market for side characters, especially oh, when yeah. it's a successful TV show in the entire world right now. I think it beats Stranger Things there. So fingers crossed that'll be the next dream. And if that happens... I, I will get on a plane to Chicago, and we will be uh, having some Lumal Nadis together. Yeah, and we'll be having some beers. You can count on it. I promise you. I swear. You 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 call me out on it, uh, and we can have. We're gonna have a whole Star Wars party, and uh, there'll be some figures on the house. I think for everyone that's attending, that's for sure. Yeah, we're definitely gonna hold you out. We know exactly the the place to uh, hang out with the uh, fans, drink drink some uh, nice adult beverages, and have a really great time. Um, so one of our, uh, folks in the chat, uh, wanted to ask you a question. I will post it up and I, I think you can see it too, uh, Dominic, but we'll read it. Um, and Trevor beast four, five, four is, uh, uh, he is the curator of the quiz section on sporkle.com and we'll have a, uh, quiz for you a little later on. But uh, Dominic, you have your own page on the Star Wars Wikipedia. Any idea when your character Gecko will get his own page on the wiki? I'm quite surprised it doesn't exist at this point. Uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of J.P. Faust. He's from Maryland, and he's an administrator over at Wikipedia. And oh. right as we speak, he's actually working on it. So there might be uh, something up within the next couple of days. The wow. one thing I just want to be very careful about is just in regards to respect to Filoni and Favreau in terms of not getting into too much depth other than sort of the generalized uh, details of the character um, because we don't want to cross that line because then it, it's going to go, you know, I, I don't want to get a phone call. I, I respect those guys so much. Um, but ultimately, uh, within the next couple of days, there should be a, a Wikipedia page for Gecko himself. That is awesome. That is awesome. And, and That's another thank you to the fans. Uh, sure. I can't say how many podcasters have, have come out of the woodwork and uh, how many illustrators have come out of the woodwork and said, hey, I don't even want to. I don't even want you to pay for a commission. I just want to draw this character. And again, I can't tell you, I'm starting my world tour, literally a world tour uh, in a couple of weeks, starting in Stockton, California. And with each um, uh, trip, each uh, location, I've made a pledge to 501st to make sure we they get a merchandise ca uh, package to give back to the community and also to the fans, uh, the local fans there as well as a thank you. Uh, for all that everybody's been doing for my little side character. You know, uh, that was one of the topics that I was going to cover, giving back to the community and the fandom, and you've been obviously gracious enough to have been uh, to, to, to do that. But you were doing that before um, Star Wars crossed your, your life, uh, came into your life. Tell us a little bit about why it's important to give back, as an actor especially. 
you know, I, I'm very connected to my grandparents' generation, as I think a lot of us are. And I think there's a sense of entitlement in this country in many ways that we lose sight of in regards to how lucky we are. If I never work ever again in this town, I have two beautiful children. We live in a house. We have a roof. There's no bombing right now. I mean, it's like when you put things in perspective, I've been able to do what I love for the last 23 years. We're only here for a short amount of time. So for me, I'm scrambling to think how I can help others in the best way that I can. And a lot of times we lose sight of that within, you know, society, Facebook and Instagram. I'm not popular enough or I'm not, you know, I'm not getting enough likes or this and that. I mean, when you take a step back, our generation is so darn lucky. You can't even imagine there's no draft. I mean, we, we are so fortunate. And to, for me to be able to do, even with every odd job that I've done over the last 20 plus years, I can't tell you how grateful I am in so many ways, even without Star Wars, uh, to, to be to have my health and to have, again, these two beautiful sons, you know, and a beautiful family and my mother, my grandparents. You know, we got to take a stop. We got to stop and think. I mean, I, you know, I'm not all for, you know, all the politics and the social issues going on right now. But the one thing that I think we can agree with across the board is how lucky we are to be American, how lucky we are to live in this day and age to where we have the opportunity to have food on our table and not struggle. And when you go back to our grandparents' generation, that's those are struggles. So I can sit yeah. there and admit and get rejected a million different ways as an actor. It is nothing compared to the 1920s and 1930s. So that's why that's always been in my heart is how can I help others? Because we are so lucky to be living in this time right now. Absolutely. Bravo. Well said. A lot of people don't realize how lucky we are. And, uh, you know, every generation has its struggle, but, uh, you know, and, and me coming from, you know, immigrant, uh, an immigrant family, I, you know, every, like I said, everybody's got their, their unique struggles and their unique uh, fights. Um, speaking of world tour, uh, our buddy Carl uh, is asking, does that include New Zealand? Oh, my God, I would love nothing more. <laughs> uh, for those who want to Google Dominic Pace movie locations, I'm, I've been a pop culture fan just like everybody else in terms of loving Hollywood for, for all the entertainment over the years. And I love movie locations. Uh, New Zealand would be amazing. It's one of these things like the hot girl in school. They have to come to you, all these conventions. And I've been fortunate. I think I've got about 15 lined up until November. Uh, wow. So anyone from New Zealand or Australia or any anyone listening to where they know the convention director, uh, I'm, I'm really not a diva. I, I have basic demands from, you know, just uh, a, a plane ticket, a uh, hotel and a little bit of per diem. Uh, no major guarantee or anything, but just happy to be there and, and to meet fans all throughout the world. So uh, feel free to reach out. You can find me on social media, and uh, be, I would love to tour uh, in your area of the world. New Zealand would be awesome. Would you go to the set of The Hobbit if you went to New Zealand? Right, that would be the first place I'd be going. I, I mean, I don't <laughs> know if you go to the convention. i got to go to Hobbit yeah. Town and then, you know, and uh, what else they do? Last Samurai out there and King Kong. Uh, so many great pieces there. You know, obviously Peter Jackson is kind of, uh, put it on the map, but I mean, just the landscape looks absolutely gorgeous, like you're in heaven. So, uh, one of our another question from our group chat said, uh, Carl said, "How did you get picked for the Mandalorian? Was it a standard audition, or did you get handpicked by somebody?" And I know you kind of touched on this the first time we did an interview, but uh, go ahead and reiterate it for for some people who may not have heard. And I and I was going to call Carl out. I was going to say, uh, didn't you hear him during our first podcast when we had him originally on on the show? But that's okay, Carl. We'll we'll reiterate. Uh, as many know, I've been a blue collar actor. I take every job I can, and uh, this was a perfect example of how those things can work out. I. Have never, even when I book guest stars on television, I have almost 100 credits on IMDb. 
Um, I take everything I can in order to survive, in order to support my family. This was a simple makeup test. And it also is kind of attributed to having a good positive attitude. The gentleman's name was Brian Seif of Legacy Effects, one of the top uh, prosthetic artists in Hollywood. And he did Drax uh, uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, David Batista, uh, through all the uh, Avengers, Marvel movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, et cetera. Um, we hit it off. I just had a tremendous amount of patience. I did have some prosthetic experience. I doubled Frankenstein and Van Helsing. And then also I was in Bright. Uh, I was one of the orcs. And then also I had a little bit of prosthetic work two times. On Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was one of the Kree. Uh, and then I was also one of the guards in one of the other se um, uh, sequences in one of the seasons. So I had the patience for it. You need to have a little bit of talent in the sense of not being claustrophobic. I also have a background in stunt experience, uh, even though I'm not a stunt man. Uh, some of the co-stars that I've done on television, such as Prison Break, Brazilian Isles, maybe NCIS, I had a little bit of stunt action stuff to where they didn't pay me a stunt rate, but obviously with the Mandalorians, we had some action there uh, that I volunteered to do. Um, and that was just it. But it, it's just one of those things to where I think Brian Cranston and Philip Seymour Hoffman said it best and take everything. I had an agent who wanted me to keep the bar at just guest star only. That's the only way that we're going to climb. But I love this business so much that I will take any job that comes along. I, I, I don't have an ego. Uh, so that's how it came about. And obviously, I'm sure every Star Wars fan can understand that dreams come true in, in that sort of ideology that you just take what you can in life and, and good things happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, while, we're talking about, while we're talking about this, hold on. Um, I was watching um, Jean-Claude Van John Johnson on Amazon Prime. And can you verify that that was you in that episode? Because I was like, I think that's Dominic Pace. <laughs> Absolutely, we got a that was a nice that was a nice paycheck that night. Uh, yeah, and John Claude Van Damme was amazing. That was a stunt. That was a stunt. I have it credited on IMDb. Um, blowing my head off uh, is a very yeah. dumb <laughs> We're out in the middle of Ontario, California, where they shot. Uh, one of my favorites as a kid was uh, uh, was it the Running Man with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger out there in Ontario. Um, but uh, yeah, that was me. That was one of my stunts. Uh, and then also, I did a B movie. I start opposite Michael Madsen and uh, Megalodon, where you can see some of my uh, stage combat as well. Nice. Yeah. We're gonna I, check I, those I out. was like freaking out at the TV. I was like, I think that's Dominic Pays. I texted Ro. I'm like, dude, you won't believe this. Absolutely. <laughs> was, Absolutely. It was a cool, it was a cool moment having like talked to you and like met you. And, and I'm like, Hey, I kind of like, I know an actor now. That's pretty cool. And then I saw you on TV in a totally unrelated TV show. I was like, that's amazing. That was such a cool yeah. little uh, experience for me. I wanted to verify it with you before I said anything. Yeah, we just finished a guest star on 911 on Fox. It's a pretty hot show. And then I've got a little co-star on Medical Police, which will be coming up on Netflix uh, January 10th. And then January 30th, uh, guest starring on Deputy for Fox, which is a new hot show on that station starring Stephen Dorff. So still working uh, consistently and, and uh, very grateful for all the opportunities. But again, just want to take a little bit of the year off and uh, do this national tour and, and world tour uh, just to connect with the Star Wars fans. And hopefully, God willing, uh, get my own Academy Award, which would be an action figure. Fingers crossed. That would be great. So tell us a little bit about where your tour starts and where you're going to end up. And I'm sure, uh, you know, it's, it's only January, but I'm sure uh, you'll get some more phone calls and book some more things. I've been trying to get you back to Chicago for C2E2, and uh, that would be amazing. I, I, I know uh, one of the organizers there, so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, man. Thank you so much. Uh, well, really quickly, not to be long-winded, but uh, Stockton, California, January 19th. Uh, then we're going to head over to Pensacola uh, for Pensacon, uh, February 28th to March 1st. Uh, then we head over to Miami. Uh, I forget the name of the convention, but that'll be March 5th to 7th. It's on my page. Um, I'm sorry, then February 14th to the 17th, I'm going to England for the first time. I'm going to uh, Liverpool 
Uh, so the home of the Beatles. Uh, so that'll be fun. It's called Knowsley Con. Uh, I have a new agent out there, so he's going to be shopping me around over in Europe. And then we're going to head to Syracuse, uh, New York. Uh, I think it's called Salt City Con. That'll be the 4th of July weekend. Um, we've got something over in Oakland, Alameda. That will be late November. And then over in Tennessee in November. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma will be April 2nd to 5th. And then I've got an agent down in South America. Uh, please send some bail money if uh, anything happens down there. <laughs> uh, tell them, you know, I'm Dominic Pace. Uh, so if any of the uh, the cartel decide to hold me up, uh, but uh, we're going to take the risk. Life is short. I've got four cities, Colombia. Uh, it's going to be Monterrey, Mexico. It's going to be uh, Lima, Peru, and then uh, someplace in Ecuador. So uh, just send for help if anything happens. <laughs> yeah, I've, my wife and I watched that show, Locked Up Abroad. So I'll be watching NBC News just to make sure that uh, we don't get any news from, from South America. If anything, it'll be the greatest story ever. Star Wars Bounty Hunter. Gets, uh, you know, random. Hey, they can have all the autographs they want. I can entertain them like three amigos. But just I just want to come home. That's all I want to do. They said, Here's your scene coming up right here. You're in that. You, we got to get you one of those tracking oh, fobs yeah. if you go down, go down south. There you are right there. I got to tell you, um, it's so funny. In the contract with South America, they said, uh, you know, you think this would be kind of like a good thing. But I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about right now? They're like, oh, we're going to have two bodyguards for you. And I'm just like, like part of me is like, wow, I'm going to be like a pimp. But I'm like, wait, why do I need bodyguards? <laughs> so I'm just like, uh, I don't know if this is good or um, I'm, I should be a little bit scared right now. But uh, either way, life is short and, you know, we can't live scared. So, uh, you know, here we come, Colombia. We'll see what happens. That's cool. That's cool. I just had a friend uh, that just came back from Colombia. A great, uh, great trip for him in South America. Yeah, uh, Carlo Esposito, I think, agreed to this convention, I believe, as well. So I think oh, cool. a little bit safe. Uh, with We actually were at the th same theater company, Tim Robbins' company, at different times, the Actors Gang. So uh, it'd be uh, nice to, um, to kind of reconnect there. Yeah, Dominic, uh, talking about theater and stuff, It uh, again, from Carl, one of our uh, people in the chat, uh, he's noticing that a lot of your, uh, your actor profile – oh, there – Oh, we just saw you. We just saw you. You know what? Let, hold on, Carl, with this question. I wanted to ask, Alex wanted to ask, too, about all the stunt work that is involved, especially in the scene that's going on behind him. You know, we see the Mandalorian get his butt kicked, and he's flopping around. Here he goes. There he is. There he is. There he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's how much of the stunt work did you do and obviously they're like squibs going off all over all over the place uh, how does your costume hold up okay well let, first and foremost let's let's take a second also to honor brendan wayne uh brendan wayne is john wayne's grandson and he oh, wow. was a Mandalorian. and not only for brendan who you know these are a lot of unsung heroes these are real stuntmen i i was not part of the stunt team and I, I can't stress enough the amount of respect that people like Tate Fletcher, who played the big gunner, uh, deserve. However, with that being said, being a kid from the 80s, uh, having previous stunt experience, um, not with the contract of a stunt contract, I went up to the stunt coordinator and I said, and, and, and thankfully, uh, some of the scenes, I don't want to give away anything away uh, because we're still alive. We're still alive. But I went up to the uh, stunt coordinator. Some of the scenes were cut out. And I told him, I said, listen whatever you need me to do. And he said, well, in this one scene, if you want to get down on one knee, I said, no. I said, look, I said, every Star Wars kid would dream to be in this sequence right now. I said, I don't care if I break my ribs. I said, I'm going all out. And Deborah, you, you know, I, I, I hope there's an extended cut. I hope to God, because there were some shots, and that's why it was mixed with excitement and also anticipation 
and fear in a way of just not knowing what's going to make it and what's going to going to make the cut. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I gave 110%, but again, we cannot take the respect and I hope that they are nominated for an Academy Award one at one time or another. You know, we have all these changes in Hollywood right now. We need to start giving respect to the real stunt men and women who literally risk their lives. Not me, I'm, I'm what's called an action actor to where I do a little bit, just like on Jean-Claude Van Damme. But these stunt men and women, make no mistake, they risk their lives for our entertainment. And you cannot tell me that in this day and age of all the foo-foo, you know, and everything else with these divas, where Ricky Gervais told them all to shut the hell up the other night, you need to give the respect, at least one Academy Award category for these people who risk their lives and they die each year for our entertainment. Um, so I was happy anytime that I can chip in in terms of add to the action and, and the passion, obviously being a Star Wars fan and giving all of myself. But it's nothing to take away from, obviously, the legends that are people like Brendan Wayne, who was there, by the way, the entire time. I didn't see Pedro. It was Brendan Wayne who was the Mandalorian. Um, so you got to just give respect to the real stuntmen and women. Um, and I'm, I'm so proud to be friends with a lot of them. Absolutely. I, I, I would scream that from the rooftops. I, I always love to shine a spotlight as much as I can on uh, on stunt work, especially with uh, with how big Game of Thrones was recently with all like the, the pyrotechnics and the flames from the dragons and stuff. Those were all stunt guys putting their lives at risk for a TV show. The same with The Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, we have people jumping off of buildings and stuff like that, falling down, getting shot. And uh, a one that I know by name uh, that I follow on Twitter and other social media was Vladimir uh, uh, Fjordik. I think he's the guy who does um, – he played the Night King from Game of Thrones. He was also in charge of the stunt coordination there and on the, uh, the Netflix TV show The Witcher. Uh, he's an awesome guy. He always posts his videos of behind the scenes of when they practice their stunts and their fight coordination and stuff. Uh, I love watching those kind of things and watching the stunt guys work and seeing these guys, which I can assume, Dominic, were they on – on wires, right? Doing these yeah. uh, Mandalorian jetpack stuff. Yeah. yeah like they, if anything goes wrong, you know, these guys are falling like t t 10, 15, 20 feet uh, from the air. Yeah. And those are, you know, those are explosions. And those are real stuntmen, you know, in those situations. Also what they do is they have something that's like a, a, a semi-automatic and it, what it shoots out is like these little sandbags that spark. So mm -hmm. when you're hitting, like say I was trying to uh, shoot Mando while he was lying down on the flatbed before this scene right here, um, they start shooting, uh, they're like these smart, these bigger, you know, like we used to have those pop-ums as a kid, but those yeah. like multiply that times like 15 and they're smacking up against the, uh, um, the bed of the, um, the flatbed there that that R5D4 unit was pulling. So that, that guy would be right behind me and th that would be my, uh, you know, that would be my, uh, my blaster. And then also at the same time, then they, uh, move in the special effects as well. That's awesome. Of the, bla you know, yeah. the blaster shot, you know, yeah. This had to have been one of the most exciting episodes of the whole season, and I'm so glad that you got to be a part of it. That's such a cool experience. How did uh, – since uh, we're watching it, there was like, what, 40 or 50 people on set there just in costume as all the uh, uh, bounty hunters plus Mando and everybody else and all the Mandalorians that came in. How was Deborah Chow on set when she was directing that many people in such a big action scene? Was she on point, knew everybody's role, exactly what to do? How was she for, uh, for a director? In complete control. I mean, if they were to take a pulse of Filoni, Favreau, and Deborah Chow, there would be not even one raise on their blood pressure. I mean, these are the leaders that you want to follow. And if there was, you know, if it was equated to the Navy, these are the people that you would want to follow into war. They were so relaxed. 
Gone are the days of Michael Bay and James Cameron. And again, nothing to be taken away from the old school director. I'm reading a book on Richard Donner right now. I mean, th those days must have been legendary with screaming and shouting and everyone, you know, you're fired in front of everybody. Um, but there was none of that. It just was completely professional. I think I mentioned in previous interviews, the first time ever I have seen a first and second AD that were both female. I thought that was a, a, an amazing applause, I think, for Disney and for John Favreau's team and, and Bologna's team. Um, but just overall, I mean, these are leaders who are in control. And I think it also is a compliment to the story, which we saw. Uh, I worked on a show called True Detective. This is the second season. And when you see everybody talking and stressing, a lot of times that has to do with the storyline being crap. And the one thing I think that attributes to um, the storyline and also to the talent of the directors, them being in control was sort of a mirror. It sort of mirrored why the story was so perfect from start to finish, because uh, they, they knew what they wanted from, from start to finish. I think when you do reshoots and rewrites, that's when things start getting screwed up because it's not organic. And that was the beautiful thing, I think, about season one of The Mandalorian. Every single episode was sort of organic and entertaining and fun. Planning helps. <laughs> Planning helps. This is true. And also, <laughs> you can also, definitely tell. Yeah. But oh, I was just saying, go ahead, go ahead. a little bit of smidgen of, of humility, too, to where you work as a team, you know, and, and a lot of times, sometimes at this level, you have a lot of egos at that high level um, where they just, you know, they, everybody wants to get their say. In, but they, you can just see how organically everybody worked together, including obviously at the higher ups of Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas. So uh, it really was amazing uh, to be and such a dream to be a part of. Yeah, definitely. Well, again, another question. Carl is uh, sweeping up the questions here. What does your family, what do your kids think that dad is in The Mandalorian? He's in a, he's an action figure. You know, it's a beautiful compliment. It was my youngest son. He's a huge Dodger fan. And uh, one day I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm home. I'm, you know, doing some stuff. And, and uh, I go and I check his phone because the phone lit up. And he changed his screenshot to uh, one of the illustrations of my bounty hunter. So that, that nice. really meant a lot to me that my son would do that, you know, especially they've been around it for about 20 years. And, and uh, I mean, well, I'm sorry, 15 and 11 years, but I'm saying my, my career. Um, so it, it sort of fades after a while, especially like when some of their, you know, like my, my son goes to school with Stephen Stills' son. And then, um, you know, my, my other son goes to school with, uh, you know, one of the, uh, the, the woman from Frozen, Jesus Christ, I forget her name. Um, but anyhow, Kristen Bell? Uh, which one, here's Kristen Bell. Oh, yeah, Kristen. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes it's hard to compete when you're in Hollywood because you're, there's always a bigger fish, as they say in episode one. Uh, you know, so, but at the same time, it's nice that they're, uh, they're sort of receptive to it now. And, and I can't tell you how grateful I am to, to have both of them. They're, they're amazing. I wanted to ask you, last time we were uh, chatting on, on an episode, uh, you were talking about you wish you were able to find the, uh, the DP that helped you out and kind of nudged you into the shot. Did you ever find her? No, but also that shot didn't make it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't need a we don't need a finder. We don't need okay, a finder. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I, know, I would like to find her. That was, that was the shot I needed. The shot's out there. Uh, but no, that's a good point. I should find her just as a thank you. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't mean to be honest. But yeah, that was the one shot. I'm like literally. I was uh, Mando was lying down on the flatbed, and I'm blast. It's just me. It's shot of. Over the shoulder, Mando, before he throws the flamethrower at us, there's a shot of me coming at him, like literally blasting the hell out of him, Stormtrooper style. I don't know how I'm missing 10 feet away. But still, it would have been the coolest freaking shot ever um, that obviously probably unrealistic. I mean, just didn't get in due to the reality of it, that you're like five feet away. But um, either way, yeah, I, I got to track her down regardless. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you, you said you order a dinner, so. Yes, 
Yeah, don't fall, don't fall back, man. Yeah, we're gonna find her. So what? Uh, what did you think of the rest of the uh, season? The other episodes that you weren't in. Uh, tell me a little bit about your exp- your your reaction to it. I think just obviously so refreshing. You know, I mean, it just left you on the edge of your seat. Uh, I think even Favreau teasing the Gamorrean guard. I think where he's got throwbacks to the you know Filoni and him to the original trilogy, mixing in with the car- with the you know the Clone Wars or Rebels or what have you. Uh, you know, with that dark sword at the end. I just love all that mystique that makes Star Wars so special. And he had that perfect balance. It was beautifully diverse. Um, you also had the special effects, which I think was second to none. We talked about that LED screen, which, again, is just really the new era of Hollywood to where everything just looks so real. And I think they literally might be used three sound stages. It looked like they traveled all over the world to film this series. You know, it, it's funny because it might actually, uh, you know, kill what Hollywood used to be in terms of going on location uh, due to this technology. Um, but I just think storyline of each episode was so refreshing um, they kept it new. You know, it wasn't like you, you didn't feel like you were just in some soundstage, uh, you know, and it's it, like, you know, some of these low budget sci fi uh, shows to where it's like they're going from one tunnel to the next. And it's like, all right, you know, put some money into your budget. Uh, I, I think it was just absolutely exciting. And again, I think they left open for season two in such an exciting way. You know, where's Yoda going? Or Baby Yoda, whatever you want to call it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Child, forgive me. Oh, my God. The Twitter's getting crazy now. It's like, you know, it's like this is. Worse than religion, as far as your beliefs on Star Wars. I walked out after oh, the yeah. line. I had the greatest experience ever. Then I go on Twitter, and I'm like, what the hell did I walk into, you know? Um, but anyhow. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, think it's, uh, I, think it's, I think they did an amazing job all throughout. And obviously, it's, it's showing by the reviews. And, and uh, overall, I think the Star Wars fan base being really pleased. Definitely. So I, have a, I have a question about the story uh, in The Mandalorian, um, Dominic. We, correct me if I'm wrong. But we never actually see Gecko die in that battle. Am I correct? That is correct. And Brian, okay. Tyler, who did my uh, my makeup, I I texted him. He asked me one question, uh, and you know if I if I was scanned, and I think that was the question in regards to uh, whether they, they can do a figure or not, or what have you. I mean, I, they can still work around that. Um, but I texted him. I didn't want to bother him again. You know, he's just been so supportive. He's been liking all the stuff. He's totally fed in, invested to you know Gecko, which is again his inspiration, which was, you know, that model from two years prior. But I texted him and I said, we didn't die. I said, we didn't see, you know, didn't see us die. Um, also, the other thing is, is there's a new, oh God, I forget his name, forgive me, but they're starting a new Marvel comic book series on bounty hunters. And the head, the guy heading that up, uh, we tweeted back and forth briefly, and hopefully there's going to be some life for Gecko within that series. Hopefully there's going to be some life for Gecko within the fan fiction and then, fingers crossed, Deborah Chow is holding up, uh, taking up uh, uh, Kenobi. And I would love to believe that uh, Gecko is part of that bounty hunter guild that perhaps uh, chases Luke. I mean, you know, there's got to be some drama with Luke. So you got to, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Gecko chases him. But we'll see what happens. I mean, on the, on the other side of the coin, this is a franchise where Brie Larson and Angelina Jolie are knocking on the door and they have the door <laughs> slammed in their face. So there's part of me where I'm just grateful to have this opportunity. And for me, the end-all, be-all would be hopefully some sort of action figure, whether it's through Lego, uh, Funko Pop, or 3.75, and obviously the dream of a black series, and, and then we can just call it a life. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. I, I got a spot right here for Gecko. Oh. Right up there. That'd be awesome. And I usually buy two of everything. Oh, my so. God. Please, please. Your mouth and God's ears, or, or to Lucasfilm's ears. Hopefully, yeah. uh, I just posted something today to where you can suggest the Funko Pop. And, uh, but again, I think ultimately it's Lucasfilm's decision. Um, from what I heard, I mean, I have people, you know, in the 501st, they said, look, 
you know, Lucasfilm, I think that they're familiar with, you know, the character and, and all the excitement, I think, around your character. They would have given you a cease and desist by now in, in one way or another. And he's like, the fact that they haven't stopped in any way, I think they're, they're applauding and sort of in, in not only the character, but also my actions throughout the community and also uh, just the whole campaign. We got another question from Carl from earlier I started doing, but then we got sidetracked. But uh, looking through your IMDB profile the other day, it seems most of your characters are enforcement, guards, soldiers, officers. Do you think that's your strength? And we talked a little bit about uh, your roles um, in a previous podcast. Uh, you play the role of the heavy. Uh, not really the, the bad guy, but... Uh, Talk a little bit, uh, I guess, about that aspect. You know, we, we you talked a little bit about the alpha male. Um, it, it's just you're such a perfect fit for that. Absolutely. And, and again, I mean, you know, look, this is such a PC time right now. And I understand why. But look, I'm Italian-American from New York. I never had that much of an issue with it. I, I would, you know, jump at the chance to be in a Scorsese film. You know, it, it's getting so hypersensitive now in terms of, oh, well, maybe I, I can't, why can't I play the boy next door? Because you can't. You can't. You take foot floor, you want to take you down. And I see it was the bouncer, but God forbid, you know, you tell one person or the other, oh, you know, oh, I can't play, I shouldn't play a prisoner. I shouldn't play, you know, this or that. I don't want to get into the details, but it, it just look. You know, I mean, we are what we are, and that's where our greatest performance comes from in terms of the character that we know. I know these, you know, I know a few of these wise guys. I know these, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting, you know, members of the police department or, or members of the fire department, which I'm so honored to play. Uh, but also, I mean, you got to play what you are. You know, I mean, that that it is what it is. People have a perception. I mean, we, obviously, we're past the John Hughes days, but also there was something very refreshing why John Hughes is a legend, because he called it as he saw it, you know, but it's just... It's such a weird time right now where, again, you can't offend anybody. But at the end of the day, I'm not offended. I mean, look, I'm Italian-American. I'm from New York. I'm big. I'm imposing. If you want to keep me that way, I get it. I'm not going to sit here and complain uh, that, that I need to be the loving, uh, huggable uh, dad, uh, you know, in a Hallmark Christmas movie. I mean, come on. <laughs> I can still I, see that romantic comedy. Yeah. That's okay. You know, I'll leave it at that. But it's just, you know, I'm just happy to play what I fit. And I'm happy I have a category. I, I've never had an issue in terms of just being what I am. And, and, and again, everyone's got their own say as far as, you know, they, they want to go this way or that way with their career. I, I just think, you know, look, people identify when you, you, you know, everybody out at a, a, you know, when you're out in society, if you're at a mall, uh, if you look at somebody, I mean, you sort of get a, a preconceived notion in one way or another. And for me, being the big burly, you know, guy from East Coast, I'm I'm okay. It reminds me of uh, when I was at Star Trek convention. I got to meet uh, Garrett Wang. He plays Harry Kim from Star Trek Voyager, okay. and he was like, you know, I've I've been taking a break from acting for a while. I'm not really into it very much anymore. I'm doing other things on the side. He's like, but then this movie called uh, Crazy Rich Asians came out, and I'm like, maybe I should start acting again. <laughs> so it goes to the same point. He's like, you you play who you are. If if that's what they're looking for in a cast member, then let's go for it. You know. So uh, yeah, I totally I totally get that mentality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I hesitate to move forward because, like I said, it's a touchy uh, topic right now. But again, I'm just happy to be who I am and how people perceive me. It, it is what it is, and there's no offense taken at all. And how cool is that? I mean, you're having fun playing these roles, and uh, it's it's uh, you know you, you just happen to be good at it, and uh, you know you're entertaining. You're entertaining us, and that's that's really what it's all about. And we we uh, as fans we love uh, watching that. 
you know, the 80s was about escapism, those movies. That's the reason I signed up for this town, not to preach to anybody in any way, shape or form, but to help people from all walks of life, all genders, all races to escape. And that's it. I went to one year of college. Please come to Hollywood. Please punch me in the face. If I tell you anything other than, hey, I'm going to be on this show or that show. And thank you so much. We're here to entertain. We're here to help people escape. That's the end of it. You know, and if you want to be a writer, go write. If you want to be a director, go direct. But as an actor, I'm here to entertain you. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to just have that opportunity. Speaking of getting punched in the face, have you thought about getting leaning more into uh, some more active stunt work, uh, doing some training with those guys and kind of leaning into that kind of work? Or is that something you want to stay away from just from injury and you don't want to risk it? That's a really good question. You know, this movie obviously was really poorly, poorly received called Megalodon, where they did it on a $50,000 budget. They're trying to make it look $100 million and they failed miserably. It's from Asylum, who does Sharknado. With that being said, I did a five-minute scene. You can pull it up on YouTube, uh, Dominic Pace, Megalodon, or stunts, or what have you. Um, there were a few moments in that stunt scene. I was working with a former Russian special ops actor, Igor Makitas, who is bigger than I am, stronger than I am, um, who basically kicked me. He's supposed to be in the chest. Uh, kicked me in the chest. I had a chest guard. He was trained to kill. So when you are you know, in the moment as an actor, you lose it. And when you're in the moment as a stunt person, unless you are highly trained, a lot of times you lose it. Uh, he went for my neck. He went for the kill. And it got me about a quarter inch short of where I would have been very seriously injured. Uh, we had to stop production for about, you know, 30 minutes to about 40, 45 minutes or so uh, because my throat started swelling. There was also another scene to where I was supposed to get my head slammed on a pipe to where you have to stop just before the pipe. This is a real pipe. And that was at that time, that's when I said to myself, you know, I don't mind taking a squib shot or to take, you know, a little right cross or left cross here and there to where, you know, you cheat it and then you fall on a mat. But again, I can't stress enough the respect we have for the real stunt men and women because they literally put their lives on the line for these types of stunts to where they, they can split open their head or they can break their vertebrae. Um, so it's to the point now where, again, we just stay as an action actor to where I don't mind doing a few things here and there. But again, we leave it for the real stuntmen and women. And again, God willing, they get an Academy Award nomination uh, in one way or another, because, uh, again, they're doing more than any of these divas having their little press juice uh, do on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very, it's great a very work. dangerous profession. I can understand uh, you're, you're wanting to stay away from that because it is like those guys deserve all the respect uh, that we can possibly give them for the stuff that they do for us for, for entertainment's sake, for like you said uh, before. But anyway, go ahead, Ro. Yeah, oh, oh, go ahead. I had another question from our chat uh, group, Cybersonic8472. Here, let's put it up. Uh, asks Dominic, as a Star Wars fan, what type of Star Wars show would you like to see on Disney Plus outside of more Mandalorian, of course? Uh, not to be cliche, but I am just so excited for Ewan McGregor and Kenobi. I mean, you know, we have the magic. I think they just talked about, you know, talk. I remember how exciting it was in terms of who's going to play Anakin. But how exciting this is that some kid is going to be able to play young Luke. Uh, I don't think it gets any better than that. And I'm really excited. I'm hoping that plays out for three or four seasons. I know Ewan McGregor's an A-list movie star, so who knows how long he wants to be embedded with this series. But I am just so excited in terms of sort of this biblical part of the, of the Star Wars legacy to where he's watching over this, this chosen one. And I think there's just so many ways it can go, go to, you know, the, the story can go to where once we watch episode four again, to where, you know, maybe, I don't know, he erases his mind or he, uh, you know, basically he was in hiding the whole time to where he says hello to Luke for the first time. 
um, how beautiful that moment's going to be and how beautiful it can play out if this Kenobi series is done well, which I think it will uh, be done in an incredible way. But let's hope for two to three seasons on Kenobi because I love the original trilogy era and, and I'm really excited to watch Ewan McGregor. He's just one of the most brilliant actors and, and I think he portrayed Kenobi in, in probably the best way there, regardless of what people think of the prequels, one storyline or another. Oh yeah, Ewan was by far a standout, and I'm I'm somebody who was kind of wishy-washy on the prequels. I, I didn't love them nearly as much as I love the original trilogy, but uh, Ewan definitely brought his A game for all three of those movies, and I, I love him for it. And I don't know if you noticed, but I saw a bunch of fans sneaking some photos of Ewan. He had his uh, his, his mullet mullet back. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Well, we all got excited, like. He's growing his hair out for Kenobi. I thought that was a really cool little thing. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe they might lean that direction or not. But uh, I thought it was it's a classic Star Wars mm -hmm. moment, or Star Wars fan moment for us to definitely to those type of things. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we have a little segment that uh, we're going to take advantage since we have you. So we've got a uh, really cool comic book, Star Wars uh, Tag and Bink. It uh, was donated to us by our friend uh, Tom at First Aid Comics on Taylor Street here in Chicago. Um, they help us out from time to time and uh, really cool stuff. Plus, still have some of these. I think this is the last one that we're giving out. Whoa! An autographed Dominic Pace Gecko character card, which uh, we will give out uh, along with the Tag and Bink comic book uh to someone who can help you out with some of our sentry mode questions um uh, that uh were uh submitted to us by our friend Trevor Beast 454 the quiz master curator over at sporkle.com so if you guys uh when you guys are done you want to head out and do some more quizzes some Star Wars quizzes head on over to sporkle.com there's uh, plenty of quizzes out there. So, Dominic, are you ready to be quizzed? This is Sentry Mode. Oh, my God. Uh, if it's original trilogy stuff, absolutely. Go right ahead. I think you know what? It's, it's Mandalorian stuff. Oh, man. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. Let's see if anybody in the chat can help. <laughs> okay. Some pretty deep cuts in this. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you want me to read them, Ro, or do you want to do Yeah, it? no, go ahead. Go ahead. Read them. Okay. I'm going okay. to so, take a look at the chat. First questions, it says, uh, which director said the line, copy that, in their own chapter that they directed? Oh, my God. Well, I know that Favreau said this is the way. Um, copy that. Let's say it's uh, maybe uh, Deborah Chow with the X-Wing. Uh, oh, no, but that wasn't her episode. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> You're very close. You're very yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's one X-Wing over. Yeah. Uh, David Filoni. <laughs> No, it's the, other, the other side. The other one. <laughs> oh, I forget Rick. his name. Oh, man. Rick. That's the one director family. I his name. That guy. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Rick. Uh, fam, I'm going to see if I can pronounce his last name. Fam Ayua. Fam Ayua. Okay, Rick there you Fam go. That's a tough one. He was the Re Republic X-Wing pilot. Yes. <laughs> I told you these were deep cuts, man. I, I wouldn't have been able to get that one either. Yeah. Uh, I had to think about that one, yeah. <laughs> All right, number two. In chapter one. What was the name of the currency that the Mandalorian accepted from Grief Karga for half the original price of his bounty? Calamari Flan? 
That's right. There you go. Nice. Nice. Woo. And those things looked pretty cool. They were like little gel packs. I like that. Yeah. Oh my god, I had a uh, I had a fob there. You know, one of the uh, the pagers. And oh my god, I wanted to keep it so bad. But uh, yeah, it's that's fun. those things bring up one of the biggest questions I have yeah. about this show. I want to know how those things work because they're tracking people across the galaxy with a little blip. I'm like. Yeah. How are they doing that? <laughs> I mean, just like those force fields. I mean, you just go with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I, I like flan. Flan is tasty. Flan oh, is tasty. It is. You're such a dork, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number three, according to the client, what does Dr. Parrish's enthusiasm outweigh? Oh, my God. These are like, you know, it's so funny. We got a Star Wars Trivial Pursuit game one time, and it's so, I was like, yay, we got Star Wars, Star Wars, and it's Trivial Pursuit. And I'm like, what the hell was, what scene was that in Return of the Jedi? Uh, outweigh. You got to, you got to picture it in his, uh, his, his very voice. specific accent. Yeah. yeah, Werner Herzog. Yeah. I love that grizzly man. That was amazing. Um, mm. say, say the sentence again. Okay. I'll do the, I'll, I'll see if I can do the line. Um, Where's yeah. that? Okay. The client, what does Dr. Parrish's enthusiasm outweigh? Please forgive the doctor. His enthusiasm outweighs his... His wisdom? His discretion. <laughs> his discretion. <laughs> oh, my God. These are tough, bro. Yeah. I got to say, yeah. I don't know. Wow. Trevor Beast. He's he's a beast. beast. He's a beast with the quiz. I want to see the baby. I want to see the baby. How iconic was that line? Yeah. I heard heard so many nightmares. So when he, you know, he filmed down in uh, uh, one of his first movies as a director, they said he dragged his cast through hell. Oh, yeah. You know, it was like ridiculous. I think what he held somebody at gunpoint or something like crazy, crazy story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard that. Yeah, he. Um, I think it was rumored. Um, it was from the set that they he called um, John Favreau a coward for wanting to do a CGI baby Yoda. Oh he was like, yeah! Don't don't be a coward. Make it a puppet. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. I'll tell you what. Yeah, he's something. He really is. Yeah. You know, speaking of Yoda as a puppet, um, Dominic. When I went in 1999, when I went to Hollywood to wait in line for Episode One. Uh, it must have been like four in the morning. We were all waiting outside the uh, man's Chinese theater. I was there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you remember? I was kind of in the back of the line around the corner, but there was a minivan that uh, had some Star Trek fans that came. Um, they got out of the minivan and they started yelling, Yoda was a puppet. Yes, yes, I heard. I heard. <laughs> I, but can you believe the people that were at the front of the line? They were there for a year. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. That was yeah. a great experience. All yeah. right. Question, question number five. Go ahead, Alex. Or four? It's four. Four. Yeah. Question number four. And I'm going to give you a little assistance on this because just reading it, I wouldn't have <laughs> even guessed the answer. It says, after apprehending Fennec with the some assistance, Fennec is um, the, uh, what's the lady's name? Yeah. She played the assassin from the yeah. Gunslinger episode. Yeah, um, with some assistance from Toro Killigan, what does the Mandalorian go looking for? So if you remember, he tells him to stay with the with the bounty, and then he's going to go back and get something and then come back for him. Do you remember what that was? It was on tat- They were on Tatooine, and they were kind of stranded in the desert. And this uh, 
does have kind of a connection to the original trilogy. Oh, yeah, it does, too. I saw it one time. Oh, my God. It's, you know, with the, the female bounty hunter there. Yeah. And then that guy had some bad quotes there. He unfortunately killed his career. Um, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't going to go there, but okay. I'm just going to say this. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. He's going to find his uh, career so that, uh, and apologize to Disney. Oh, God. You know, I see. I saw all of them one time. I just, you know, it's not like the Goonies where I watched it a hundred times, you know? <laughs> he, I, goes I back for a, he goes back to get the dewback, which is the animal that we see the stormtroopers riding in yeah. A New Hope, the four-legged yeah. dinosaur type thing. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, these are tough, man. I'm, I'm going to say that every time. Uh, yeah. here's, one that, here's one that might be simpler. Um, the last question is, what is the corresponding title for Chapter 7? I'll play I'll play some music for you while you wait. Chapter six was the prisoner. The prisoner. And then chapter seven was Chapter Seven. Chapter eight was Redemption, right? Yeah. Was it Redemption? Yeah. Yeah. You know, chapter three was the sin. Yes. <laughs> that was your chapter. Yeah. Oh God, I don't I, I watched it. You know, I fly through these things. I, I got to get back to work and, and do everything else. So, yeah, forget me. I remember that's where uh, you know Nick Nolte uh, he dies there. Yeah, yeah, that was the big cliffhanger. It was the reckoning. The reckoning. Okay. The title of the episode is the reckoning. Gotcha. So it was the reckoning, and then the redemption, or what was it? What was the, I just messed up my own line. <laughs> wow. These are tough, man. Uh, Trevor Beast. Yeah, he's on he's a beast. Level. <laughs> yeah, and real fast, bonus challenge question. Can you name all five characters who appeared exactly three chapters throughout the season? Basically all the main the big Yeah, all, all the big, big, big all the main characters. Can you name uh, them all? The Mandalorian, the Child, Grief Karga, uh Cara Dune. There you go. And uh Nick Nolte. <laughs> Nolte. I have spoken. Oh. That was, oh man, how fast did these uh these quotes from the show take off, man? I know, right? right? Yeah, man. We were we were just talking about how uh how you know that from social media when they become memes or animated gifts, you know that a show is gonna hit because yeah. people are, you know, rolling with that. This is one, great. I had one because I'm at the bar where I get the page, you know, you see that shot and uh, one of them was uh, somebody, you know, I mean, it, it was short lived, but it was like when you uh, when you're trying when you're out bounty hunting, but the wife says, don't forget the bread and milk before you go home. You know, it has me looking up at the pager there, you know, looking yeah. up anything. But yeah, it's uh, my God, baby Yoda memes. It's like just nonstop. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much. That was our sentry mode. We usually have five questions that we ask each other and Ooh. we have to answer those questions uh, for bragging rights. But me in and, this me case, Ro, me and Ro usually softball each other questions. We <laughs> yeah. don't go that hard. Oh, yeah. my God. Wow. This is Sentry Mode. Check out more trivia at sporkle.com slash games slash subcategory slash Star Wars. That's S-P-O-R-C-L-E dot com. And feel free to follow me on Twitter at TrevorBeast454 as there's a 90% chance that I'll follow you back. Thank you, Scarif Podcast, for this wonderful opportunity, and may the Force be with you.
Dominic again. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and talking uh, talking with us. Um, thank you very much. We appreciate your time, um, and uh, we appreciate the fact that you are a friend of the podcast. Uh, we are uh, here to support each other, and, and um, we're really excited. Uh, you know, now that uh, real fast, any uh, wish wishes for uh, season two on the Mandalorian? I mean, anything, you know, anytime you go back to original trilogy, I'm, I'm a happy guy. You know, yeah. even I was expecting, hopefully, maybe a little hint of Boba, a little hint of Dengar, you know, and, yeah. and God willing, we get back there. But either way, like I said, uh, more importantly, for the overall uh, betterment of the story there, I just anything original trilogy is always a lot of fun. Definitely. Yeah. Alex, any final thoughts? This is my favorite moment. Oh, hey, yeah. SD coming up with the red eyes it was oh yeah i know bryce dallas howard directed this episode and yeah. that to me i'm a super jurassic park fan and that to me was her way of doing like a little callback to the t-rex scene that she's in holding sure. there i i saw that and i just i geeked out for a minute i i would love to just shake her hand and say thank you for doing that yeah amazing <laughs> so, uh thank you dominic so much for being a part of this podcast and letting us uh, chat with you and get all the inside information uh it means a lot to us as being a small podcast just starting out to have somebody uh, involved in these projects um, give us the opportunity to talk with you. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And again, like I said, I appreciate you and all the listeners uh, support of this side character there and then this bounty hunter. And hopefully he'll be the next Dengar at some point there and in, in lore and everything else. Definitely. Uh, keep uh, keep it coming. We uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. We'll see you out there in the Twitterverse. And uh, again, Dominic, would you uh, be so kind as to sign off with your name and uh, tell the folks that's the Scuttlebutt. Perfect. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, and that is the Scuttlebutt. So there you have it, friends. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Dominic. See if you can catch him online at Dominic P. Pace and say hello. If you missed that YouTube live stream, watch our Twitter posts and come by the next one. Don't forget to tell a friend about the Scarif podcast if you're enjoying our content. And if possible, become a patron and join the Scarif Garrison. Just a buck a month or more gets you in. And thanks to our current patrons, 97 Bravo, Charlie Skywalker, Brad, Hyperspace and Holocrons, Drunk 3PO, Nicholas Schaefer, and our newest patron, Matt Vader, 74. Thank you guys, and may the Force be with you.